Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Becca Babbles podcast. I'm your host, Becca, and today I had the honor to interview Meg Dahl. She is one of the sweetest human beings I have ever met. She has her very own podcast that I started listening to sophomore, junior year of high school, and I always loved waking up every single Wednesday morning of each week and listening to her sweet voice in her podcast. Meg is just a really encouraging and sweet person and you'll get that throughout the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation with her today. But a little bit about Meg, she struggled with anorexia at the early age of 10 years old and she successfully recovered from that eating disorder and is now helping people who are struggling with their own food and body image. Like I said, Meg is a podcaster of the amazing Unbreakable You podcast. She also studied dietetics in college and holistic nutrition, but she is now studying to become a somatic therapist, which you'll learn a bit about in the episode. She works with her clients to help find food freedom and genuinely learn how to take care and love their bodies. You can find Meg on her Instagram at I am Meg Dahl and her website at MegDahl.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello. Hi, Meg. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Not going to lie, you're my first Zoom podcast that I've ever done so a bit nervous but I was excited that it was going to be you so yeah well thank you that makes me so happy I'm honored thank you so (laughs) much (laughs) so yeah tell me a little bit more about your podcast um so I started my podcast in like I think it was the end of July and I had been just it was kind of funny I was at my job where I work with like horses and stuff and then I remember that yeah yeah, and it just like it popped in my head where I was like you know Becca Babbles podcast just like it just hit me and I was like I've listened to so many podcasts since like sophomore year of high school I was like I have to make my own so why not exactly so I I start I still get it yeah (laughs) But Becca Babbles, I love yeah. that. I love that <laughs> Thank so you. much. Yeah. So yeah. how many episodes then? I didn't even I don't even know. Um honestly, I don't even know myself. I just like once July. a week. Yeah. So it's gotta okay. at least be like twelve by this point. Because yeah. I haven't missed wow. a week. So yeah. So you released every week too. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, oh my thanks. gosh. So you have has it all just been like solo episodes so far? I did one with my friend because I was like, okay, I know I want to do interviews. And then I was like, she's going to be my little like test run. And then I had one other person that I was going to interview for a test run before, like I was going to do Zoom ones, but her schedule has been a bit crazy. So I was like, might as well just reach out to Meg because she's sweet. (laughs) I am really honored. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to get started, I yes, honestly, I a question that I had to ask you was mm-hmm. because I know last year you were like super into reading and making sure that you hit like one a month. I yeah. had to ask you because I've currently like started my own reading kick. Yeah. I had to ask you, what are you reading right now? Oh, I feel like this entire podcast, could, <laughs> like this whole episode could just be all about books. So oh, yeah. Yeah, you you want me to share what I'm reading? Oh, right totally. Now? Okay. 
So I actually just started a book this morning. So I'm like Ooh. fresh 37 pages into this book <laughs> <laughs> and it's called, wait, it's such a long name. I always get it like kind of jumbled up in my head. You'll see why when I say, so it's called everyone in this room will someday be dead. Whoa. <laughs> I always say kind of like a version of that, but I always need to check what it's actually called. So yeah, I don't really know what it's about. I never really read what a book is about. I am very guilty of judging a book by its title. So if if a book has like good reviews or like a high rating on Goodreads, do mm-hmm. you use Goodreads? Oh, yeah. Are we friends on Goodreads? I don't think so, but we, oh, should, we should be, be friends yeah. on Goodreads. So that's kind of like my criteria. If it has like a high rating on Goodreads and a title that I'm like, Ooh, that's a good title. Mm-hmm. Then I'll read it. <laughs> so I, know, I just started that this morning. <laughs> yeah. I know for me, I, for the longest time I saw people posting about Verity and I finally finished that one a couple of weeks ago. I consider myself a slow reader and I finished that book in like a week and a half. It was crazy. How could you not? Right? <laughs> oh, right. So I need to hear your thoughts then. Like, what what do you think? Because did you hear about the new chapter? Wait, what? So basically, like if you've ever read Verity before, like our listeners day, right? But you <laughs> and I obviously both have read it. Mm-hmm. And basically at the end, it's like either your team letter or team manuscript, right? Oh, and I so good. Yeah. And I guess just recently, like she released a new like Verity book, like an updated book with an an additional chapter. I have to find this. (laughs) I know. I need that book. I Uh haven't read it yet. Without reading it, would you consider yourself team manuscript or a team letter? Okay, so I have to say I read it back in January, so I'm a little hazy on this, but basically, and whatever this means, I'm not sure if this means team letter, team manuscript, but I really hope that Verity, like at least like there's just this part of me that really hopes that she's like the crazy one and not like innocent. Mm -hmm. That's like where I'm at. Would that be team letter or team manuscript? I feel like that would have to be team manuscript. Okay. Yeah. Then I am team manuscript. Oh, That's just what I hope. I would definitely be the same way because then I would feel bad for what had happened. (laughs) I know. I know. And it would just make it a little bit more like interesting and crazy, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Even though it's it's just like such a messed up story. uh Uh-huh. I've but never read it's a book perfect. Like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> five out of five. Easy. Exactly. It deserves that five star rating. <laughs> yeah. So, transitioning okay. from books, uh, so that my readers can, un- not my readers, wow, I'm already talking as if I'm an author, but um, <laughs> so that my listeners can kind of know your background. How did you get into health or how did your f- uh, health journey start? Yeah. So, I mean, are you willing to go way, way back? Because that's kind of where it starts. Um, I'm 31 right now. And when I was 10 years old, I 
was diagnosed with my first eating disorder. And so I always like whenever people ask me about like how I got into the field that I work in now, or, you know, how I got into the health, wellness, food and nutrition world, it really does start with that because had I not had an eating disorder at any point in my life, I, I really don't know if I would have gone to university and studied dietetics, you know? So Mm -hmm. yeah, I had an eating disorder when I was 10, I recovered from that. And then when I was 15, I relapsed same type of eating disorder. It was anorexia. And when I was 15, I obviously had like way more independence than when I was 10 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually, it was a much longer journey for me to recover from that eating disorder. And, um, I eventually did, but it kind of then morphed into a different type of eating disorder. So anorexia, it morphed into something called orthorexia. And when I was dealing with that, orthorexia really wasn't being talked about. You know, I had never heard that term before. So I I definitely thought I was recovered, you know, but now kind of like hindsight or looking back and reflecting on that time in my life, it's like, wow, I was really deep into orthorexia thinking that I was, you know, recovered from anorexia, which I was, but I was dealing with a whole different type of eating disorders. So with all that being said, eating disorders were definitely like a huge part of my life, but with like the support of my family and working with like such incredible professionals, I was able to recover. And while all of this was going on, I was, as I said, I was working with a really amazing team of professionals And one of those people were my dietitian and she just helped me so much, you know, and like, I think out of everyone on my support team, she was definitely, well, I, I saw her at least once a week. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so it, she was just this really important person in my life. And she inspired me to go to university and study dietetics. And I always just had this thought in my mind that, if I was able to help even one person in the way that she helped me, you know, I would like that my life would be amazing. You know, Mm -hmm. like that was what I was set out to do was help one person in the way that she helped me. So I went to university, I studied dietetics and I'm sure at least one person can relate to this. Like you're, you're in your fourth year of university and all of a sudden you're realizing like, uh, I don't really know if this is what I want to do. You know, um, I, I still loved learning about nutrition. I loved food and, you know, like I loved what I was like the, the world that I was getting into, but I felt like I had a lot more learning to do in the sense that I really wanted to learn how I could use foods to support my body rather than just seeing it as like, protein, carbohydrates, fats, calories, right? I really wanted more of like a holistic look at things. And so I actually went to holistic nutrition school here in Canada. And that's what, um, like that was kind of that, what, after I graduated from holistic nutrition school, 
I launched my own business as a holistic nutritionist. And I say, I'm just kind of like a forever student because (laughs) that's why I kind of was tripping up over my words because I was like, well, I didn't really end school there because I'm still in school today. (laughs) I I'm studying to be a somatic therapist and I, that's really where my passion lies. I I'm so grateful for all of my education and training in food and nutrition, but you know, when I'm like the majority of the women that I work with or my clients, they have either had eating disorders at one point in their life, or they're currently trying to recover from an eating disorder or disordered eating. And, you know, it's not about the food. It's about like our beliefs about the food or our beliefs about our body or traumas that have happened in the past. And we're using food as a coping mechanism, right? So there's a lot that goes into actually fully recovering and somatic therapy was a huge part of my healing journey. And so that's where I am right now. That's where I'm studying. And it's amazing. So I have an online business and I work with people from all around the world. It's super cool. And I love what I do. Oh my goodness. There's so much to like dive into that. (laughs) But the first question that I thought of was when you were sitting at university, when was that moment? Or like, do you remember that feeling of clicking? Like this isn't working or like I need to change. And like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think there was like a few different times. So first of all, I'm the type of person that like, if I'm doing something like one way and I'm being told to tell people to do things another way, I'm not going to do that, right? Like everything has to be in alignment for me. Like if I'm eating like whole eggs, for an example, multiple whole eggs and like real butter, every single day. And someone's telling me that I have to tell my clients to choose like low fat products or whatever it is. Right. I I'm not going to do that. Right. It's Mm -hmm. so out of alignment for me. And so that was part of it because in university going through dietetics, like we had to make up these like fake meal plans for, you know, fake clients and stuff. And on the meal plan, you were like putting low fat cheese and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I don't eat low fat cheese. Like, why would I ever tell my clients to eat low fat cheese, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what really prompted me to go to, you know, go to holistic nutrition school and really learn more of like, okay, why are these foods so awesome? How are they supporting our bodies and kind of backing up my beliefs on eating just real whole foods, right. And not Mm -hmm. focusing on the macros and stuff like that. And I think I was just kind of, um, bored in a sense too. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know in university, sometimes you're learning stuff and you're like, I will never be doing this. You know, like I'll, I remember one time we were sitting in class and we were literally learning about a type of surgery to do. And I'm like, but we're, you know, we're studying to be a dietitian. I didn't really like in my mind and I get why we learn it, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to be doing this surgery. Why, why do I need to learn about 
how this surgery is done you know yeah I feel that so hard because like (laughs) I just finished up with chemistry one and then I have to take chemistry two and I'm like I'm gonna be a chiropractor why do I need to learn chemistry yeah oh yeah I know I was in an accounting class and that was just like (laughs) the bane of my existence I was like this is terrible yeah Uh yeah um when you were in university and you were learning like eating low-fat diets and stuff like that how did you cope like were you already recovered fully at that point would you consider yourself fully recovered or would you find those conversations start triggering things back yeah, up yeah i that's a really good question um honestly throughout those 4 years of my bachelor degree like i was kind of I think recovery is kind of a funny thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like one day you just like on April 1st, you're like, oh, wow, I'm recovered, right? And then everything is full recovery from there on out. I think throughout those four years, like that was when I was battling orthorexia and really didn't know, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a lot of rules around food you know, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. One of the, basically a big obsession of mine back then was I had this like big fear of under eating. I know that sounds like probably maybe surprising because when we talk about anorexia and eating disorders and stuff, oftentimes it's like this fear of eating too much or, you know, like restriction and stuff. And absolutely that was a part of my eating disorder in the past, but then I had recovered from anorexia and I kind of developed this fear of like being in a position, a position of not being able to eat enough. And so I was like packing all my, like, I would literally haul around a tote with me to class with like all of my meals packed and, you know, just so I had enough food throughout the day. And so that's what I kind of mean about orthorexia. Like I was very particular about what I was eating. I had, like, I devoted hours and hours and hours of my day to food prep. And so that's kind of what my life looked like then, but no, sitting in class, like learning about these low fat food options and like calories and stuff like that. I wasn't triggered while sitting in class. It more so made me think like, as I shared before, wow, this is completely different than my beliefs Mm -hmm. in how we should nourish ourselves. And um, thankfully so, because I'm really happy doing what I do today rather than I think um, what could have been if I just kind of followed suit and did what everyone else was doing, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think I, it's funny, my story is a little bit of the opposite. So I started from the perspective of coming from orthorexia because I, I was super into basketball and I thought like getting healthier would make me become a better athlete. So I got hyper-focused on food and then for like getting put into treatment and for insurance purposes, they hadn't defined orthorexia as a issue yet. And so I was labeled as anorexia and, but I could definitely see the, like almost coming out of treatment. I had this, I was still in that wanting to restrict food, but then I also got to a point where I was afraid of going back. And so I always made sure I had my food and that it was 
exactly the same and measured the exact same in fear of making sure I don't eat too much and making sure that I don't eat too little. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some overlap there for sure. Right. It's like, we don't want to go back to what we were struggling with before. So it's like, okay, I'm going to control everything. So I don't go back there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's in a way, in a funny way, you know, it, it is this part of us coming into play that's trying to protect us, right? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't want to go back to that restrictive behavior, but we still are being extremely controlling and restrictive too. And yeah. I, I, that definitely goes to show how like eating disorders isn't just about the food. There's like so much more to that. And with that, with like defining when you're recovered and stuff like that, because I feel like people it's a really controversial topic on if recovery is really a thing and i find now that it's more just like i find thoughts start popping up in my head and it's either deciding am i going to act on these thoughts or not Mm -hmm. um and then also how do i word this but like you're trying to like not act on your thoughts and then but you keep finding it popping back up and up again. And is that how you work with somatic therapy with your clients or is how going into that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you bring up such a good point. Like we can have these thoughts and I mean, we're humans. We're never going to be thoughtless. Like we're, Mm -hmm. we're always going to have thoughts, right? So that's something that I always remind my clients and people who are working towards recovery and stuff like the the point is not that like you have the thought it's what Mm -hmm. you do with that thought right and so if you're having these thoughts about maybe restricting food or being controlling around food if those thoughts pop up that doesn't mean that you're not recovered Mm -hmm. right not at all Um, it's truly what you do with those thoughts. Are you acting on those thoughts? Like you said, or can you be able to be like, okay, that's a thought and I'm not choosing that today. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, yes, with somatic therapy, it is working a lot with the body and because we store trauma within the body. And so it's really working with like the body, the nervous system, all that good stuff. And, um, I also find like our, like I do somatic parts work as well. And so with those thoughts that are coming up, it's like, okay, what part of you is being activated right now? And like, what beliefs is this part of you holding on to? And when I say part, we have all sorts of parts to us, right? Because at whatever age you are, you've gone through how many different experiences in your life. And there's always like parts emerging and being created, um, from all of these different life experiences that you've had. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's really about working with those parts of you. Um, and then, you know, just as you were talking about like defining recovery and stuff, you know, it is, it's super hard to define, but, um, I've heard people say, and I'm not sure I'd be interested to hear like your personal thoughts on this, just as we've both experienced eating disorders before, but you know, some people are of the belief that like, you're always in recovery, you know, and I get what they're saying, like, you know, that 
yeah, like it might feel like you're always in recovery because we're always having these thoughts, but I truly believe that you can get to a place where like those thoughts aren't this constant thing that you're always working through, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's really what somatic therapy and parts work really helped me to release. And um, yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, for me for recovery, I for a while there, I feel like it goes in stages, but I had thought for a long time that like, no, you're always going to be recovering. And that I think it was also just a fear of like, failing at recovery. So if I can't actually recover, then there's no failure a part of that. But then now I've kind of gotten to the point where it's like, I think you can be recovered, but you're still going to have those like you said those thoughts pop up again but you are going to decide you you have the power over it's almost like uh thinking it as like a visual where it's like this big light and that's like super loud and then it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller to where like you're almost overpowering that light and that's what i kind of think the eating disorder is i know it's kind of weird like when I was in treatment, they would talk about how you have your like ED self and then you have like yourself, which I never, I always thought that was a little bit odd because I'm like, but they're both me. And so are you saying there's like two of me? Um, but I can still, I can see in that moment separating them. It made it a little bit easier to realize that there's more to me than just my eating disorder. And I think that's where they were trying to get to that with that example. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really where parts work really helped me the most was because in, I mean, like, I think a lot of eating disorder recovery is very much the same. I'd be surprised if anyone who has had an eating disorder and like went through recovery hasn't heard that, like, you know, the separation between the eating disorder and yourself and making it very clear that like, you are not your thoughts or you are not the eating disorder. This is something that, you know, you're dealing with and, you know, it's separate from you, but in my recovery, and I I would go out to say um, for the majority of people, the eating disorder is kind of made out to be like this villain. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of start hating on that aspect of yourself. And it's like, this is so bad when I have these thoughts or when I have these urges, like this is a bad part of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, that was like what I believed for so many years because of how it was approached in eating disorder recovery, everything changed when I started doing somatic work and parts work because there are no bad parts of us. Right. And so as soon as I, instead of like seeing it as, oh, that's my evil, like eating disorder part or my bad eating disorder part. Right. I saw it as like, maybe this part of me, this younger part of me that doesn't know how to trust herself or this younger part of me that has never been taught to feel comfortable in her body. Right. There's all of these parts of me and they need like love and nurturing that maybe they didn't get in the past. And that's why I'm having these thoughts. Right. So it was such a more like gentle and more compassionate approach. And that's really when everything changed for me because 
I don't think, um, I don't think it really works when we think there's these bad parts to us. I really don't think that works. I completely agree with that. And I, I honestly, I love that so much more because then because viewing yourself as like this bad portion of yourself, I think it goes back to like, even when people say like, are there good and bad foods? Well, it's like, if you demonize one part of something, then you're eventually like, you're going to be that rebellious child that's going to go back. A hundred percent. You nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, can all of our parts be neutral? And can we just like learn about them and Mm -hmm. see how they need support to move through whatever is like activating them, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it takes out the shame of like, cause then that brings so much shame on yourself for being a bad person when you're yes. really not. Absolutely, you totally get it. I mm-hmm. love that. So I know another big part of your story is you realizing that you had to recover your period and that was a big part of my story as well. So could you dig a little bit into that too? Yeah, for sure. So I had recovered like mentally from my eating disorder, but my body had never been to that place to get the period back. Mm -hmm. And so it was like 12 years of not having a cycle. I kind of like laughed at that, but it's not funny because having a period is super important. But Mm -hmm you know, reflecting back, I'm like, Meg, like 12 years, like that is um, crazy, but there was always stuff happening. And I think a lot of us can find ourselves in like these situations where we're kind of making excuses as to why our periods haven't come back. Right. Mm -hmm. So I obviously had an eating disorder for many years. So obviously I had no period. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went through a really like stressful time in my life, like mentally. And so again, like that was kind of one of my excuses. It was like, Oh wow. I was like really going through some stress there. So, you know, okay. Give myself like that reason. And then I had a parasite, which completely knocked me like on my butt, you know, like it, Mm -hmm. people talk about having parasites and, um, I would read about people's experiences with parasites before I actually had one myself. I was like, gosh, that sounds terrible. And it, it actually was was (laughs) terrible. And I just, it's one of those things that it's kind of like that invisible illness type thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was experiencing all of these symptoms, but you couldn't actually see the symptoms. And so even like the closest people around me just like, didn't really understand what I was going through. And it was really hard. So anyways, again, um, really difficult mentally to go through that, but also physically. Right. And I was reading all sorts of stuff. And I mean, at that point I was also Like I had my dietetics degree. I went through holistic nutrition school and tons of like continuing ed after that. And so I knew well enough that if my gut was messed up enough, that maybe that could have been preventing me from getting a period. So that was another excuse of mine. Right. But I think I was like 26 or 27 when I realized that okay, I'm like in my late 20s. And I still don't have a period. I don't really have an excuse right now as to why I don't have a period. And um, 
I'm a pretty intuitive person. And I just kind of kept getting these hits of why I didn't have enough, have my period yet. Mm -hmm. And it all came back to like intuitively knowing that I could be eating more food than what I was currently eating. And I mean, like I was listening to my body and, you know, just kind of following my hunger cues and I, that, that alone was not allowing me to get my period back. And that's why I'm such like a, I talk so much about intentional eating versus intuitive eating. I, I love this topic so much because we hear so much about intuitive eating. And I think because we hear about intuitive eating so much, we kind of put it on this pedestal or this, like, it's like this golden gold standard, right? Like we have to be intuitive eaters. And I finally was, but that didn't actually allow my body to be its healthiest self. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started practicing something that I coined as intentional eating. And I was more intentional about okay, I'm, I, I tracked for a few days and kind of got an idea of how many calories I was just naturally eating on a daily basis. And it honestly wasn't super low at all, but it clearly wasn't enough for how much my body needed. And so I just like intentionally started eating more. I intentionally started eating like first thing when I woke up in the morning, rather than waiting until I felt hungry enough for breakfast. Right. I, I changed a lot of like my approach around how just, I fueled myself throughout the day, just not going more than like four hours without eating. I eat like to this day, I eat like every three hours, you know, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. And I'm just, I just follow that rhythm. And by doing that, I've had my period since 2019 and I I'm the healthiest I've ever been you know yeah that's awesome and I I think that just goes to show that like feeling that like hunger feeling I know we're always taught like oh just feel when you're hungry or you feel that like grumble in your stomach and it's like it's not always that I know for me for the longest time I'd always have constant headaches and realizing that I would make up the excuse of like, oh, I don't need to eat it. So I need to get blue blocker glasses because I'm starting school online and like I need to drink more water. And it was like, no, you've already drank like your 40 ounce hydro flask. Like you you need some food. You need um, food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And there's this like sometimes I feel like we we try and get through life eating the smallest amount when it's like that's not fun <laughs> um, no I'm totally yeah. sorry I'm butting in here but I am so team like how much can I possibly eat you yes. know and like wouldn't it be better to eat like 3,000 calories than 2,000 calories like mm -hmm. why not right so if that's what's going to support you in living your best life and functioning your best, like that's better, right? I'd much rather do that. Oh yeah, and it makes social occasions so much more fun when you don't yeah. have that fear of eating too much. Yeah. And um, what I did want to get into was when you started adding in more food, did you ever feel that fear popping up or like even with clients when you start telling them like, hey, maybe we should eat more food, even though you're not feeling physically hungry? How do you go about dealing with that with them? 
Oh, yes. That is a conversation I probably have with every single one of my clients. And I think, you know, the conversation is kind of always different based off of where they're at. If it's, if that fear is coming up because of certain beliefs they're holding on to, a lot of people just think that, that like they literally have this belief of X amount of calories is normal. And then anything more than that is too much. And so we need to start like poking holes into that and being like, okay, where did that belief actually come from? You know, and where's the facts or where's the science in this? Right. And also like looking at actually how our body's functioning. Right. So if they are eating X amount of calories, like the the amount that they think is quote unquote normal, but they're not getting their period. That's just proof right there that your body is trying to communicate with you that not enough energy is coming in, in order to perform these like necessary functions that our body was meant to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that could be part of the conversation. Another part you mentioned like hunger and you're so right on that. Some people are really hesitant to eat more food if they're not hungry for that. But even you said, you know, and I, I have an entire episode about this. Like I did a whole podcast series of um, like signs that you're not eating enough food. Right. Um, so AKA like other forms of hunger <laughs> that aren't just like the grumbling belly type thing. Right. Because that's, that's not the only thing hunger is like you said, you were experiencing headaches and a hundred percent that's a sign of hunger. Um, another sign is no hunger. So if you're never hungry, that's a sign that you're not eating enough food, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the body is actually supposed to be hungry. Like you're supposed to feel hunger. If you're waking up in the morning after a solid night's sleep and you wake up and you're like, yeah, I could eat breakfast right now, right? Like we don't want to be ravenous when we wake up, but like if you wake up with an appetite and some hunger, that's a really good sign that your body's functioning properly, right? So having those conversations of, looking at like the symptoms that we're having or just, you know, the biofeedback and hunger being one of those things. And so if hunger is non-existent, this is something we talk about and start learning that hunger is actually this thing we're supposed to experience as humans. Oh yeah. Well, and I think it's like getting comfortable with it, like ebbing and flowing throughout the day, because I feel like, especially with the intermittent fasting coming in where it's like, try and like suppress your hunger as much as possible. And it's almost like this like badge of honor, like I can go this far without eating. Yeah. And it's like, like you're no. not winning anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So realizing that like you're supposed to have hunger, I think is something that's really hard for people to understand because we're always told like no try and like suppress that hunger because you're either a eating too much or it's like a good thing that you're not eating that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like four H's I, I like to talk about that are signs that you're functioning like signs that we as humans are functioning properly because we are supposed to experience these things. So hunger being one of the H's, 
being happy, like, so having, like, just to elaborate on that would be like having good, like consistent moods, right? Not these massive mood swings. So hungry, happy, hot, like feeling warm. So you're not supposed to be cold, right? Like if you're sitting in your house and you're just shivering wrapped up in blankets, like this is also a sign that you're not eating enough food, that your body's not functioning properly because Mm -hmm. of lack of food and also like horny. So having like a libido, right? So all those, like those four H's are all signs that your body is like receiving enough energy to actually Mm -hmm experience those things do you also find with some of your clients that they struggle with like the changes in their body that comes on to like adding food how do you help them through that in so many ways because that's (laughs) like it's so um complex and honestly i i think yeah for the majority of my clients like this is a big thing But, um, and I mean, even for me, my body absolutely changed from, you know, under fueling and not having a period to being where I am today, where I consistently fuel my body in the way that it needs to. So I'm ovulating every month and I'm having a period every month, right? So it's not just about having your period, but it's about ovulating too. And absolutely my body changed throughout this process. The number one thing that helped me is not making the journey about my body because like just going back to my period recovery journey, I had actually attempted getting my period back several times before I actually got it back, but I always approached it in the way that like, okay, I need to eat more food because I need to gain weight in order to get my period back. Right. But it's kind of like what we were talking about before seeing some food as good and some food as bad or seeing our eating disorder part as like this bad part of us. Right. And I think by approaching the journey as in like, I have to change myself, right? Like I have to gain weight in order to accomplish this. It made the journey really hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just get burnt out. Because it's like you're fighting this part of you, right? Or fighting like how you are right now and you're trying to change yourself. So anyways, I made this promise to myself when I started my HA recovery journey for the final time, I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to make it about my body. And I was specifically just going to make it about being healthy and like getting my period back, you know, and that changed everything for me because I kind of allowed my body to do what it needed to do. And I wasn't so concerned about it because I'm like, okay, yeah, my body's changing, but like, I'm not focusing on my body looking one way or the other. I'm focusing on getting my period back. Right. And so I think that's where a lot of people can get tripped up is like, they want their period back, but they're also so concerned about what's happening to their body at the same time. And it's like, okay, what's your goal though? Like, are you trying to achieve a certain physique or are you trying to get your period back? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like another big thing that so many of us have to kind of like wrap our heads around is 
if we have been under fueling for such a long time, and then you start eating an appropriate amount for your body, you might gain weight, right? Because if you're not eating enough, your body like might not be at the like size or shape or whatever that it actually needs to be. Right. And so if you're finally eating an appropriate amount in order for your body to function properly, and if your body gains weight in the process, that was actually needed. And that really helped me too, knowing that like, oh, in order for me to get to this place from being like unhealthy and not functioning properly to this place of being so like the healthiest I've ever been, right? Oh, I had to gain weight in order to do that. Well, my body needed to gain that weight then, you know? Mm -hmm. I definitely feel that because when I had lost my period, it was during that time of like middle school. So it's like the time where your body is going to change and realizing mm. that like, I know some people were like, oh, when, cause I was like consuming podcast after podcast. And that's kind of what made me realize. I know your podcast was one of those big things for me where I was like, wait, I like having my menstrual cycle is really important. And I, I realized that like, I didn't, some people would say, well, maybe you'll go back to the body that you had before when you had your period. But then I was like, I never had that as an example. So it was really tough for me because like, I almost, I joke with my family sometimes where it was like, I'm finally going through my puberty stage in like my twenties. Um, so I think sometimes it can be really difficult for people because they don't have that and even having that like idea of what your body should look like once you get your period back is probably a bit disordered too but not realizing that like i don't have control over what my body is going to look like and being neutral throughout the process mm -hmm. i so relate to that because the last period i had was when i was 15 years old and like i said i was like 27 when i was going through HA recovery. So like, how would I ever expect my 27 year old body to look the way it did when she was 15? Mm -hmm. Like that would be absurd of me to even think. Right. But a lot of women are in that mindset that even when they're 30, you know, like they're looking at their high school pictures thinking, well, why, why isn't my body like that anymore? And it's like, because it was 15 years ago or, you know, like more than a decade ago, like you shouldn't look the same. Like you mm -hmm. should, like, we need to want, we, that's the thing. Like we need to be okay with looking like a woman because you're not supposed to look like a teenager, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It would be the same thing to say, like, you should, like, people make fun of people saying that they still have a baby face. It's like, yeah. you wouldn't expect yourself to still have a baby face when you're, like, in middle school, high school. So why would you expect your body to be the same as you were in high school to when you're older and an adult? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just kind of getting rid of um, those expectations, a lot of brain belief rewiring, right. And a lot of unlearning, relearning that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but there's a, Oh, um, just going back to what you were saying about like not knowing what you're going to look like when you get your period back. 
And something that helped me, I was like, okay, like, I don't even know this version of myself. Like, I don't know what this version of me who has her period, like, I don't know what she looks like. Right. And I kind of made this decision um, on my journey. I was like, she deserves a chance. Like I've never given her a chance to actually be seen. Right. And that kind of, I don't know, that was a really um, important part of my journey just to be like, Hey, this part of me hasn't even had a chance. I never gave her a chance and I think she deserves a chance. So, you know, maybe if anyone listening today is kind of battling with that too, that could be something that might like help them a little bit, just knowing that, Hey, you know, no, we don't really know what this version of you is going to look like, but do you think that she deserves a chance to experience life? Like this recovered version of you, you know, I love that because I think sometimes it could be coming from a fear mindset of being like, I don't know who this version of me is going to look like. And that could come from a scary perspective, but like, what if that other version of you could be a better version of you? And it probably is going to be because it's going to be fueled and fed. So (laughs) I'm sure we can both say that like, it's absolutely the best version possible, at least in my experience, you know, like Mm -hmm. life just got better having oh definitely in like so many ways (laughs) like I don't think I would have started this podcast if I didn't decide to like actually fuel my body properly yeah and like how incredible right I love Mm -hmm. that yeah Yeah. what do you think the biggest lesson that you learned when recovering your period oof um gosh that is such a good question and I feel like if you ask me like tomorrow and the next day, maybe I would come up with a different example or a different answer. But what's coming up for me now is I I truly don't think that I ever knew how much, uh, like how many calories I actually needed to be eating. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I never knew. And so I think that's one of the biggest, um, most helpful things I learned from this journey was how my body actually needed to be fueled and being okay and excited to fuel my body with a lot of energy rather than always kind of, you know, holding back that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you did because you inspired me to make my chocolate smoothie bowl with sweet potatoes (gasps) and make it thick. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) So good. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I just had a smoothie right before we hopped on this call. (laughs) Really? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I still do it with the like the orange sweet potato. Sometimes it's not as good as the white sweet potatoes, but it gets the job done. So good. Yeah. I love smoothies so much. Even as the temperatures are getting cooler, I'm like, I just can't go a day without it. It's so good. (laughs) It's funny. My parents are always like, you're cooking sweet potatoes again. And I'm like, yes, Yes. I have to. All the sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. And I'll even like bundle myself up in a coat just so that I can eat my smoothie (laughs) in the middle of winter. (laughs) That's funny. But like, honestly, you can make like a warm smoothie bowl you know so instead of like freezing the sweet potato if you do that you can just kind of have it cooled in the fridge Mm -hmm. and then even if you're adding like you can there's ways to support your body like if you want to eat cold foods you know like adding like 
ginger or cinnamon, those are all warming spices. So it's going to help the digestive system in the winter when you're, you want to eat those cold things. I never knew that. That's such a good tip. Yeah. Do you have any, is that only for like cold foods or like, could you also do that when it's like warm in the summer and you want to eat something hot? Like, I guess that wouldn't work as well because most spices are warm. Yeah, there's definitely some cooling spices though, um, or like herbs, like basil Mm -hmm. is a cooling herb for sure. Um, The mints, like spearmint is cooling for the body. So things like that, you can definitely, but then also just like, yeah, but if you wanted to, I see what you're saying. Like if you wanted to eat something hot in the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of like spices and stuff, I know you're into like essential oils. Do you want to dig into a little bit about that? Yeah, I was actually like really because that's how you and I connected. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that was definitely like a big part of my life years ago. And now um, I feel like I really found my like real true calling and like my just what truly lights my soul up and as I mentioned before that's working with my clients in this somatic therapy um parts work type of setting and um but as far as like essential oils go I I love using them for like emotional health. And that's really why I got into them before, because they do have a way of working with our brains and, you know, producing, like allowing us to feel calm in moments of feeling maybe like heightened emotions such as anxiety. Right. So, um, things like that are like lavender is a really common one to use when we're feeling anxious or um, wild orange. There's actually studies on wild orange that it lowers cortisol levels, which I find absolutely fascinating. So, you know, one time I have a really cool share. Um, One time I was like having this anxiety attack and it was like my heart was just racing I couldn't catch my breath I was so anxious and I grabbed my bottle of wild orange and it completely just like calmed me down and so it's cool how they can have such a big impact on our emotional and mental health I love that about them Oh, yeah. I know I started working at a personal training studio. And what we'll do is at the end of the session, we'll be like, hey, would you like a cold towel? And while we're stretching them out and we'll put like eucalyptus in the towel just to like start getting them in that parasympathetic mode and like chilling them out for like good recovery. So that's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Plus also like essential oils smell amazing. So like it why wouldn't smell you want so them? good? I know mm-hmm. that's one thing, right? Like it's just um I always am using them and or they're like in my skincare or my hair care or whatever and so people are always like oh you smell so good like what is that I'm like I have no idea because it's just in everything you know that's funny well the last question that I wanted to ask you today because I am a 20 year old or I am 20 years old and I'm always looking to like get ahead so in life just in general and I was wondering if you could go back to your 20 year old self what would you tell her oh gosh honestly like enjoy where you are right now 
enjoy that. I know you Mm -hmm. just mentioned like always trying to get ahead and it's awesome to have like big dreams and big goals and things like that, but you're only going to be 21, Mm -hmm. you know? So do all the things that you want to as a 20 year old woman and just like, enjoy it. You know, that's what I would say to my 20 year old self, because you're going to have some of the best years when you're 20. Let me tell you that (laughs) things will just keep getting better. Mm -hmm. I'll also say that, but like your twenties are so much fun. Awesome. I love that. So if I just wanted to thank you, Meg, for being on my podcast, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm glad you were my first zoom podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If my listeners wanted to connect or work with you, where could they find you? Yeah. That's so sweet of you to ask. So I also have a podcast. It's called Unbreakable You. So they can search Mm -hmm. that. I have a like literally over 200 episodes there. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's been a long time. And I'm on Instagram at I am Meg Dahl. And it's super easy to connect with me through email. I'll always respond to emails if you shoot me an email hello at megdoll.com and that's also my website is megdoll.com so you can read more about like my coaching and stuff I I am accepting like private coaching clients that's how I work with clients right now in a private coaching setting so yeah it would be awesome to connect with any of your listeners that's so sweet I know you have like the sweetest um emails that go out every week so you definitely need to join that yeah I always love (laughs) seeing those but yeah Yeah. well thank you so much for being on the podcast Meg thank you for asking me this is fun yeah well you have a good rest of your day you too hon